0: Now remember, we are in a sermon series that is looking really closely at the purpose of our church. If you've ever wanted to know what is Cornerstone about, why do we exist, this sermon series is meant to answer that. And it goes like this, our purpose statement. The Cornerstone family of churches—remember, we are a multi-siting church, one family, one body, but several campuses. The cornerstone family of churches exists to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, grow together, and serve others. And you can boil that down, and that's what's on these t-shirts. Love God, grow together, serve others. We're beginning to look now at the serve others portion of that purpose statement. What does that really mean? And we're going to take a few weeks to really unpack that, but... I want to ask you while we begin, if you were on church leadership here, how would you handle the following scenarios? A pastor from our area asks you to join an interfaith team that's made up of Muslim imams, Catholic priests, Jewish rabbis. Protestant pastors, all of whom are going to work together to create programs for the city of Easton. How would you handle that if you were asked to be on that team? Or what would be your response if a church from Southside Easton asked if there was any financial help that we could give, Cornerstone could give to them to repair their roof and help replace their old worn-out lighting? Should we help them financially? How about this scenario? A small End church loses their lease on the space that they were renting, and they need a a place to worship. Will you open your doors to provide rent-free space? A Lehigh Valley organization that we partner with no longer centrally focuses on teaching god's word should we continue to support them financially or a community center calls you and asks you to say the prayer for their christmas tree lighting ceremony but you're told very explicitly that you cannot mention the name of jesus christ now all of these have occurred and a whole lot more And each of them have something in common, and it's biblical partnership. Partnership in ministry is probably not something that you think a lot about. But when it's done well, it is beautifully strong, and it's one of the best examples you can find for a church that understands its purpose. We're going to turn to Philippians 1. Let's get our Bibles open. Let's observe five things. I'm going to give you them one at, one at a time, and they all have to do with biblical partnership. So I have five points. We're going to hit them quick, and we're going to learn how do we, when do we, why do we partner with churches and organizations around the Lehigh Valley and around the world. I want to start with Philippians chapter 1. I want to start at verse 3. Let's read it together. You can follow along with me. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. That sounds almost like a Southern man reading that, doesn't it? It's a bit odd in its wording, but it gives us our point number one, the joy of biblical partnership. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he's writing to the church at Philippi. It was a Roman colony city. And every time, now look what he writes every time that the Apostle Paul thought of the Philippian church, he thanked God. What dominated his prayers, and you remember, we're talking about the why and the how of biblical partnership. What dominated his prayers was gratitude to God for the partnership with this church. And his thoughts of them, they're not full of grief. If you read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, There's a lot of grief there's a lot of correction it's a hard book paul had to be pretty pretty hard with them but not with this church all of his thoughts are of joy and it lends to us really a principle biblical partnership should be full of joy now again i'm very much realizing that a lot of us likely do not often think of partnership well we do within the church Ephesians 4 style, where every part does its work faithfully. I get that. But really, the Bible is dominated from Genesis all the way to Revelation with partnership between churches, partnership between faith communities. It's something that we really need to think about. It's something that really forms part of the reason why we exist. We exist to be in biblical partnerships and let me tell you why for a moment and a lot of churches forget this and it's easy for cornerstone to forget this as well the church was never meant to work as a silo it was never meant to work thinking and feeling and operating as if it's the only community of faith in the area. So they never really interface, they never really talk, they never really do things with other churches. That's an aberration in the kingdom of God. That's not the way Christ-centered churches should function. Well, if that's true then, well, then how do we know when to partner? How do we know when not to partner, which is really a lot more difficult. Well one of the things that we're learning already is a biblical partnership should be full of joy. And whether that partnership is your marriage, think of that for a moment, because that is a form of partnership. Or two believers that own a business together, that's a partnership. Or two or more ministries working together, it should be joyful. Your marriage should be joyful. That business should operate with joy. Churches working with churches ought to be joyful. But you might be mistakenly defining joy as emotional happiness. That's really not the definition of, emotion, of, of biblical joy. Because Christian joy can actually exist even in sorrow, even in loss, even in the midst of a difficulty or a trial. Remember what James 1 said, counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. If you're new to the Christian faith, that word trials means difficult circumstances that your faith is struggling in. We're to count it all joy even in the midst of various trials so what is joy now let me see if i can help you understand biblically a good understanding of what joy is joy is the sense of well-being you have to start there if you're going to understand biblical joy it's the sense of well-being that comes from being loved by another and by the way right there if i end it Anybody, even a non-believer, can experience joy. The believer, though, keeps it going. If you're going to understand biblical joy, it's going to go a little bit further. And our greatest joy is to know that God loves us more than we can ever realize. So it's a sense of well-being that we can have with one another. Why? Because we together know that God loves us more than we will ever understand. God, the sovereign creator, the ruler of all there is, who is perfectly good all the time, who has everything in control, working out all of his will in our world, those truths create our well-being. And when we have that well-being, we have joy. And that joy begins to bubble up. It begins to spill over in your soul, and it causes you to rejoice. But again, I want you to note the source of that rejoicing. Look at Philippians 3. Just flip the page, probably, in your Bible. Look at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice—how? In the Lord. He's the source. So now that sounds academic, perhaps— But I want to tell you that if you're looking for your joy in the world, you will never find it. You will find emotional happiness that is dictated by your circumstances. But if you want that sense of well-being... Because you are loved by another and no one loves you more than God and his sovereign control and his inherent perfect goodness has everything in control that provides for you, provides for me, that well-being that bubbles over into joy and rejoicing. That's what biblical joy means. It's because of a relationship with God through Christ that our hearts can rejoice. And that source of joy is relationship, it's not circumstance. And for Paul, his overwhelming joy with this church at Philippi was rooted in his love for them and their common relationship with Christ. Now, I'm gonna actually read to you a letter. This was written by a guy named Saint Cyprian, who wrote it in the third century to his friend Donatus. It's been recovered and I'm going to actually read. It was translated from Latin into English. I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear the joy, sense the joy that's in his heart. Cyprian is writing to Donatus, and here's what he writes. This seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Thieves on the high road, pirates on the sea, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds, all under roofs, misery and selfishness. It really is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world, yet in the midst of it, now here listen to this, in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. These people, Donatists, are the Christians, and I am one of them. Is that resonating in your heart? Your joy comes from a well-being that you have because God is on the throne. He is perfectly and inherently good. He has everything in control, and it puts you in a place of peace that creates and manufactures joy, and when it bubbles over, you begin to rejoice together. That ought to strike and undergird And inundate biblical partnerships, whether it's your marriage, whether it's two Christians in your business, whether it's two churches working together for the Lehigh Valley. It is to be characterized by joy, but it doesn't end there. Paul's got a lot more to say. The criteria number two, the criteria for biblical partnership, he unpacks in verse five. Because of your partnership, and if I can encourage you to take your Bibles— You know what? This is so important. If you want to do it to the pew Bible, I don't care. Just do it neatly. Because of your partnership, three words, in the gospel. From the first day until now, that's the criteria for biblical partnerships. The greatest criteria for any true biblical partnership. Listen, this is true if it's a marriage. That's why if you ever come to this church and ask one of the pastors to do your wedding... We're going to find out, are we marrying two believers or two unbelievers? Because we'll marry either of those scenarios, but we will not marry a believer to an unbeliever. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. It's why when you form a business, you should never form a business with a partner that is an unbeliever. The Bible explicitly says to not do that. The criteria is, are they both in the gospel? Are they both... Relying on the grace of God through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The greatest criteria for any true biblical partnership is this: is the ministry or the missionary standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, we did not join the interfaith group that I mentioned earlier. And we say no to any community event that forbids us from mentioning the name of Jesus. We won't support any missionary or organization that is not standing on the gospel. On March in 1887, my spiritual hero, Charles Spurgeon, published in his monthly magazine the first of two articles he called the downgrade, They were actually written not by Spurgeon, but by Thomas Schindler. And Schindler had done an incredible amount of research that yielded this. From the Puritan age, those were the years 1600 to 1662, to his present age, Schindler's, late 19th century, every true revival in England, now listen to this, every single true revival in England was followed within a generation or two by a drift from biblical truth all the way to wholesale apostasy. There is a drift that happens or that potentially happens in every Christian organization. And that drift is subtly away from the gospel— That is something we are hyper alert both within the walls of Cornerstone and without the walls with every single ministry we partner with. Tomorrow, we're going to be interviewing people who want to come into membership here at our church. If you're not a member at our church and this is your home church, I would encourage you to pursue this. It's more important than I think you you may even realize. And the elders are charged with examining graciously— The testimony in the life of each person that wants to be a member. Because why? Because membership is partnership. And each one of them are going to have an influence here. So we want to make sure they are standing on the gospel. And on the church level, the ones that do that interviewing are the elders. They're responsible to watch over our church's doctrine and our teaching. They examine my preaching. They examine whoever's preaching in this pulpit. And we know from Philippians 3, verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even in tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's talking about people within that church. He's not talking about opponents outside the church only. He's talking about those within the church. There are people, I got to tell you just statistically... There's likely people in Cornerstone that come regularly that if they could, they would move us away from doctrine. It's all through the New Testament. And even in church membership, the criteria for biblical partnership is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that Jesus has provided salvation for broken sinners like me, broken sinners like you, through his death on the cross and the resurrection life. It's the centrality of the gospel of Jesus that unites our biblical partnerships. That is the main criteria. But Paul goes on. He says you can have confidence in your biblical partnerships. Now, before we look at verse 4, let me tell you this. I'm a really, really big fan of hard rock music. I think some of you know that. I did a whole sermon series where where I introed sermon after sermon with some hard rock song. Well, one of my favorite Christian hard rock bands is Striper. How many of you know Striper? How many of you, if you could, secretly, you have never confessed this to anybody, but if you could, you would wear yellow and black leotards. Raise your hand really, really high. I'm one of them. I'm with you. Often in their songs, their lead singer, Michael Sweet, will hit that high note and he'll hold it for a while puts goosebumps on my soul man i'll tell you i love that well verse four paul hits a high note with that word joy and he's going to hold it for the entire letter the entire letter of philippians is resonating joy and his joy with the philippian church threads its way through everything he writes to them even the very few minor negatives that he addresses with them he does it so gently And it's his joy for them gave him confidence, which is something that biblical joy does. Did you know that it does that in your marriages? If you have a sense of well-being because you know God is in control and God is good, and that the two of you are standing on the centrality of the gospel— It can bring you such joy, and the result of that joy is confidence. This is the person that God had for me to marry, and it still is that person. It works the same in Christian business partners. Joy brings confidence. And when your heart is full of true biblical joy, it is full of confidence in what your God can do. When you're full of anxiety, which we all are prone to being— Well, you're empty of confidence. You're going to lack joy. I've never ever met, and I do a lot of counseling, I've never met an anxiety-prone person that's truly full of joy. They cannot mutually exist. So Paul writes, verse 7, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. you hear the confidence? Now, I I want you to hear this. He doesn't put his confidence in his ability to bring their faith to completion. He doesn't even have confidence in their ability to bring their own faith to completion. Look at this, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's what makes biblical partnerships so desirable, so powerful. It's why we pray for our partners in ministry. We have confidence that God is working in them just like he's working in us. I mean, for instance, consider the McLaughlins. We just read their letter. They're our ministry spotlight for this weekend. You can clearly, if you know their story, you can clearly see the hand of God working in and through them. And when you truly get that, it will fill your prayers with confidence that God's hand will stay with them as they stand on the gospel. It's the same with Restoring Hope ministry in Dungu, Democratic Republic of the Congo. It's the same with the missionaries that we support, the kings in New York City, on and on. God will bring these ministries to completion. Look what Paul says, at the day of Jesus Christ. What is that day? Well, he's going to actually write in 2 Thessalonians and bring a little bit of light to what that means. He's going to say in chapter 1, verse 10, on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. So that day is when Jesus comes back, he's going to be glorified through the church through the ministry partners and he's going to be marveled at among who among all the christians and all of these partnerships to paul the philippian christians and him they're going to be christ will be marveled at because of the church at philippi and the apostle paul and i think it lends towards a question and it's one that i really want to ask you to write down if you would Because I think it probably should be a bit of a corrective. Our pastors say it very, very nicely whenever we do a ministry spotlight. As often as the Lord brings it to mind, pray for them. I think there's maybe a little bit more intentionality that we could do. And that is actually begin praying for them regularly. Are you confidently praying for God to work in and through our ministry partnerships? You know who our missionaries are. You know who our ministry organizations are. We list them on our website. They're in our bulletin often. So you can pray for them. But now Paul is going to move to the heart of biblical partnership, and this is where the intimacy comes in. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Now, this last week my wife had her birthday i will not tell you her age because i would like to appear before you next week without holes riddled in my body (laughs) but one of my sons got a brilliant idea on a full poster board to give x number of reasons why we love her the numbers of years she's lived that was the number that was the number that we filled out so she read a lot (laughs) not so many actually (laughs) she's here tonight normally i wouldn't care what i'm saying but she's here i have to be really careful we read a few she read a few really beautiful accolades to why we love her listen because my children and i hold her in our heart now you do that with your spouse you do that with your children There's people, your friends, that you hold in your heart, meaning you won't let it get to the periphery of your affections. Paul won't let the Philippians church get on the superficial part of his radar screen. They're right in the very middle. So now that I've explained that, go back. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all with all with the affection of Christ Jesus. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I wanted to read that twice to underscore, to undergird that. Now I want to let you know that there's a the very good likelihood that we don't do this. I interface with a lot of Christians, and there's times that they ask me, or I might even have the occasion to ask them, what missionary, what partnership do you hold in the center of your heart that you have a particular affection for, that you have a yearning for, that your prayers take on a level of intimacy that others don't? And i'm going to ask you that right now and for those of you who come to cornerstone regularly and you know some of the partnerships that we have you know the missionaries that we support you know some even the partner ministries within our church is there one that you have an affection for one that you yearn for One that fills your prayers with a level of affection and intimacy that almost emotionally, or actually it does emotionally move you when you bring them before the throne of God's mercy. That's what biblical partnership ought to yield, that level of affection, that level of intimacy. And if it's not yielding that, likely for me or for you, it's because we're too much on the periphery of it. And that's where the intentionality comes in. Paul had an incredible affection. Now, let me tell you why. Do you know the origin story of the church at Philippi? Pretty amazing. You're going to find it in Acts chapter 16. Paul is there with his ministry partner, fellow missionary Silas, and he meets a godly woman named Lydia. Note I said godly woman. She's not a saved woman. She was a merchant in purple cloth. That in the ancient days was a very expensive and coveted product. That was a high-yield business. And the Lord opened her heart. The Bible explicitly says this. The Lord opened her heart to receive the gospel, what Paul had to say. And she and her family were saved, and they were baptized, and they invited Paul and Silas to stay at her home. And on their way to her home, a demon-possessed girl who was a fortune teller kept following behind them all through the streets of Philippi, yelling out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And we would think, well, this is free press. This is actually a good thing. It wasn't a good thing. It was incredibly distracting. It was an unacceptable accolade from a demon. So Paul commands the spirit to leave her, which it did. But she was a slave girl and her masters who owned her made a lot of money from her fortune telling and they flew in a rage and they dragged Paul and they dragged Silas to the city officials where they began to be beaten with rods and they were thrown in a prison because of the accusation that they were disturbers of the peace. That was a serious, serious accusation in Rome. They're put in prison. Their feet are fastened in stocks. It's incredibly painful. But they start praying. Paul and Silas, they start singing hymns, a little striper, I think, and the other prisoners were listening, and suddenly a great earthquake took place, and the prison doors opened, and their shackles fell off, and the jailer came running, and when he sees that all the prison doors are open, the Bible says he took his sword out, and he went to go kill himself with it, because it was a severe charge to lose your prisoner, you're going to be executed publicly. But before he could kill himself, Paul yells out, stop. Every single one of us are still here. And that jailer's eyes were open, and he asked Paul, how can I be saved? And he and his household put their faith in Jesus. They were all baptized right then and there, and Paul and Silas were taken to his home for dinner that very night, and the next day they were released because they found out they were Roman citizens. It's an incredible origin story. It's amazing what God did to herald the beginning of this church of believers. It's a decade later that Paul wrote this letter. And he's in prison again. This time he's in prison not in a Roman colony called Philippi. He's in, he's in prison in the Roman capital called Rome. And he's under house arrest in a rented house. And he writes that the church at philippi look at your text were all partakers with me of grace in other words the church at philippi was loyal to paul Supporting him in prayer and finances as well. They were sharing the struggle of making the gospel known. They were defending it against all enemies. They weren't ashamed of Paul. They didn't turn their backs on him. And both the church as well as he himself were given the grace of God to suffer for his namesake. Verse 29 of chapter 1. They were partners bound to each other by the grace of God. And it only increased Paul's affection for this church biblical partnership ought to be threaded with our affection but there's one more point that i think we can extract from this passage and it's the goal of biblical partnership why do we even do this why do we partner it's really sometimes difficult it could be messy Verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The love and affection Paul had for this church led to some very specific ways that he was praying for them, and I would offer them to us as well he prayed that their love would grow more and more now i want to tell you something here's a caution that we're about to get the bible is going to put a corrective and i want you to picture in your mind this metaphor you've got a river called love that is channeled and directed by two banks one called discernment and the other one called knowledge if you remove those banks you will become a codependent lover. And there are too many marriages that are characterized in that way. Love is never, ever to be divorced from from knowledge and discernment. The Bible calls it this way. We are to love in grace and truth. Why are those two banks? Biblical partnership... Praise that love will grow with both knowledge and discernment so that you can spot the counterfeit, so that you can see the wrong and the dangerous and not overlook sin or compromise holiness. Nine years ago, we were partnering with a church in one of our largest ministries that we have. And that church began to get into the newspaper. They began to grow in accolades and notoriety in the morning call, the express times, because they actively and intentionally wanted to bless same-sex couples. They were intentionally bringing gay men onto their elder board, and we are in full partnership with them. Now, we believe, in case you don't know this, we believe that, you, that the Bible calls us to love every single person, regardless of their orientation, regardless of their sin, regardless of their struggle. We are to love extravagantly with discernment and knowledge. Because we proclaim and we adhere to holiness and we call sin what it is. And we ended up breaking away from that church partnership. And we pray for ever increasing love in our hearts as well as that of all of our partners, our ministry partners. Yet, love that is guided by knowledge and discernment, rejecting what God rejects, approving what God approves, is the aim of our prayers. And that's how Paul prayed for the church at Philippi. We pray that all of our biblical partnerships will be pure and without fault. Look what Paul writes filled with the fruit of righteousness. Staying that way all the way till Jesus comes again. Now, I cannot emphasize enough how important our prayers are for our ministry partners. I told you earlier, I want to say it again. I want this to echo in your minds. Pastors and ministries tend to drift from the gospel, throwing their arms wide open in love. And it's very difficult not to do that. It seems weekly that we hear yet another person, another pastor, another ministry in the name of love, lacking discernment, lacking knowledge with holiness, they're abandoning Christ and they're walking away from the gospel. I'll tell you one of them only because it's been so public. When I was a youth pastor, one of the hottest books that came out was I've Kissed Dating Goodbye, Josh Harris. I've heard him preach. I've sat under his preaching at conferences. He was being used amazingly by God around the world, actually. And he was a pastor at a church, a Sovereign Grace Church. And it wasn't only about a month and a half ago that he made headlines by telling everybody that he no longer believes in the faith as he once did. He was walking away from the church. Listen, it's not prudent to look down our nose at Josh Harris or any other numbers of people. I could have brought in Rob Lowe, who also is—not Rob Lowe, he's actually an actor, right? (laughs) Rob Bell, who wrote Love Wins. I've read the book. Some of you may have read the book. The book has over 400 questions in it. Its entire thesis is, at the end of the day, nobody's going to go to hell. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Love's going to win. God's love is going to win. That is arms wide open to love without discernment and knowledge. It's a drift from the gospel. You must pray. Listen, I'm going to boldly call you to this. You must pray that the pastors and the elders, the leaders of this church, never stray, never drift. But we all must pray that our ministry partners never drift never stray and when you begin to see and discern that they might be drifting it is not to gossip it's not to slander it's to go to them and call them to repentance to hold their faith and their confession of hope to the end that's what we do and we do that through prayer more than anything we find joy in biblical partnerships we join with them on the gospel We pray with confidence in God's ability to work in and through them. We love them more and more with real affection. We pray for their endurance to the end. That's biblical partnership. Here's how I would end. I would actually invite you to tonight or tomorrow morning to read through this passage again, to let it sift into your soul, to really deeply anchor these principles into your own heart and begin finding one or two of our ministry partners and begin praying with them for them like you've never prayed before and watch the affection grow in your heart watch your joy increase watch your confidence in God enlarge watch the affection deepen and watch your care and your attention to their stand in the gospel, sharpen. Love with discernment and knowledge. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray.